So the other day, I was with a group of friends of mine, and we were playing uh, a board game. And then I had to write a homily, uh, and uh, I started to think about games. And I realized that there are two types of games in the world, and they're divided by uh, the conditions for the ending of the game. So for some sorts of games, the game ends when a certain condition is met. So, for example, horseshoes, uh, when that person hits the, the final ringer and they got 21 points, the game is over, right? Or cornhole, when you sink that final, uh, you know, perfect shot that you've been working on and watching ESPN uh, at weird hours for, right? Uh, like, to, to practice, uh, the game ends. Or when you're playing Settlers of Catan and someone gets 10 victory points, the game ends, right? So that's one type of game. Uh, and then there's another type of game, right? The game that ends uh, based on a time condition. So this is more popular in our sporting events and things like that. So things like soccer and football, uh, basketball, they end when uh, time runs out. Now, of course, we could say that there's a few exceptions to that if there's a tie or something like that because um, we Americans hate ties, so um, uh, we, we say we got to extend it. But still, there's this time condition. And there's a judgment made at the end of a time condition. The notable exception to this is baseball. Baseball is sometimes called by theologians the eternal game. Uh, in fact, they say it's the only game that will be played in heaven because it can go on and on and on and on and on forever. Um, and so it somehow represents God to us in that way. Uh, this is also the source of that uh, notable Aggie joke. Now, I'm an Aggie, but I, I, so I can say this, uh, that uh, says that Aggies don't lose. They simply run out of time, <laughs> right? This is a reality. And so there's these two types of games in the world. And uh, friends, the reality is that the game of life is much more like the latter than the former. The game of life is much more like the second type of game than the first type of game. There will come a time when we have no more time. We have limited time. That time is the hour of our death. Death comes to every man, whether soon or late, and the state of our soul at that time determines our eternal fate. Deacon Matt, in his homilies uh, last week, and, and some of you may have heard his homily and, and others may not have, he left everyone with a question to ponder, and I think it's a good question. Um, he left us with the question, are we ready? He alluded to the catechism of the Catholic Church where it says, death is the end of man's earthly pilgrimage of the time of grace and of mercy which God offers him so as to work out his earthly life in keeping with the divine plan and to decide his ultimate destiny. Friends, death is a certainty. But how will we face it? Are we ready? That question with which Deacon Matt concluded last week leads us to ask, ready for what? Ready for what? You see, death is an end. And it comes for all of us, but it is an end which leads to a beginning. It's an end that blossoms unto eternal joy in heaven for those who have known Christ and who have followed His commands, 
or leads to torment in hell for those who have rejected God's gift of grace. Now next week we're going to talk about hell a little bit and the week after we're going to talk about heaven. But death, which is like time running out, leads immediately to the moment of the particular judgment which we all will face one day. See, after death comes judgment. In speaking of Christ's judgment, we, we can speak of two, uh, two um, moments of judgment. The particular judgment that Christ will give us at the moment of our death, when we'll know our eternal fate, and, uh, which occurs right after we die. And the last judgment, which will come when Christ comes again in glory, and then all will be made clear. The providence of God, His justice, and His mercy will be seen in its entirety. Now we'll talk about the latter type of judgment in a couple of weeks when we come to the feast of Christ the King in the church's calendar, but I want to focus today on the particular judgment. Now, judgment has, is a word that has a very negative connotation in our world today. It means it kind of carries with it a lot of baggage uh, that... Uh, that is not good. Almost a word that we fear to use. And there is a form of judgment that merits disdain. Rash judgment. uh, Judging someone's intention. Judging their heart. um, Judging not actions, but kind of an entire person when it's not our place to do so um, can become a serious sin if left unchecked in our lives. Nevertheless, judgment itself is something without which none of us would choose to live. We can't live without judging what we believe is good or evil for us in particular situations. And even in a bigger way, we can't live without uh, an ordered society, a, a society which points in the right direction, which judges what is good or evil. You see, without judgment life would have no real adventure. It's a sign of God's great love for us that our choices actually matter, brothers and sisters. In the words of St. Paul, we don't shadow box. We're not just pretending to play the game of life. We're actually playing it. We're actually, this, this thing that we're in right now uh, leads to something else. And our choices make a difference. We long for divine approbation. We long to enter into the wedding feast that's talked about in the Gospel today. And moreover, truly to be worthy to do so. You know, friends, this fact is made particularly clear for us Catholics by one of the very first prayers that we learn. Uh, the Hail Mary. You think about the Hail Mary. Most of us learned it when we were very little. Um, if we were Catholic as kids, and we probably still pray it to some extent. Um, Maybe we pray the rosary or, or, or say a Hail Mary before we go to sleep. And you notice that at the end of the Hail Mary, we have a petition that Mary, our mother, would pray for us now and at the hour of our death. The two most important moments of your life currently are now, where you can choose, and at the hour of your death, which will determine your fate. For what are we praying in that moment? What are we asking for? The only moment of which we're all certain in that moment, uh, uh, which is the only moment 
where we're all certain that we're all certain is coming. We're praying that we might be ready to face the particular judgment which Christ will offer us. We're praying that our lamps might be well supplied with oil, with the oil of charity. What does it mean then to be ready for judgment? It means first that we recognize that we cannot save ourselves by ourselves and that we accept God's gracious gift in our life. You notice today that we're celebrating the baptism of, uh, of Nova, right? And uh, this is a, a gift of complete grace. Complete grace. Um, she doesn't have to do anything to earn God's grace. She simply uh, uh, comes to the baptismal font and her parents say, yes, we want her to be baptized. We want her to be baptized. And this is a sign of God's gratuitous grace. To her are given both the lamp of faith and the oil of charity today in a particular way. Our salvation is a gift of God's gracious giving. We cannot merit it, brothers and sisters. We cannot become just without God's gracious gift. This is essential preparation then that we must have if we're to face judgment worthily. We have to have that lamp of faith and the oil of charity. Both things were given also to us if we've been baptized at the moment of our baptism when we were incorporated into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who died and rose again for you and for me. At the same time, brothers and sisters, that we recognize the absolute gratuity of grace, we also recognize another important fact which is expressed beautifully by St. Augustine. Um, He said this, he said, God who created you without your help will not save you without your consent. God who created you without your help will not save you without your consent. You see, God's love for us is so great that He requires us to be agents in His providence who can choose to cooperate or not. When we baptize one who's under the age of reason, like Nova today, we, we, the, the, the church's faith offers, expressed by the godparents and the parents, um, is given to her. But it still has to be lived out. As she grows, as she's able to reason, she has to choose to cooperate. And the same thing is true for you and for me, brothers and sisters. We must choose to follow Christ. And friends, if we know Jesus to be Lord, yet do not cooperate with grace to grow in charity, we are like the foolish virgins mentioned in the Gospel today. We are the foolish ones if we do not take hold of the opportunity, the time which God gives us for repentance. That delay of the bridegroom in the parable is important. Why? Because it's a sign of God's mercy and His grace to turn towards Him and choose to cooperate with Him. Notice, the fools don't lack faith. They don't lack lamps. The lamp of faith, they lack charity. They know the bridegroom. They know who He is and they know that He's coming. Yet they refuse to do the hard work of loving God and loving their neighbor, and it, which fills up that lamp with the oil of charity. Perhaps they were consumed by pleasing the world, a temptation which is not unknown to us today. And because of that, they were not concerned with pleasing God. 
They weren't willing to do the hard work of loving God and loving neighbor. They've forgotten who the true judge is and that he judges not as men do, but on the growth of charity in the heart of the person. St. John of the Cross, the great 16th century Spanish mystic, he said that at the, in the twilight of our life, we shall be judged by our love. We shall be judged by our love. That is the charity which has been given to us. Has it grown or has it diminished? Or has it evaporated entirely? If that's true for us, we should go to confession and ask for God's pardon and peace. And then begin again. Beginning again to love God above all things. And to love our neighbor as, for his sake. To be ready for judgment means then to allow these facts to shape the way we live day in and day out. These are the conditions for each of us to win at the game of life, brothers and sisters. We must have the lamp of faith and the oil of charity. If we wish to enter and share the joy of the wedding feast, we must live so as to love God above all things and our neighbor for God's sake. This is what Jesus means when He says to us at the end of the Gospel, stay awake. Stay awake to the fact that you will die. That you will die and that heaven awaits you if only you choose it. Thomas Akempis wrote a book called um, The Imitation of Christ. And he gives a reflection that I want to end this homily with today. He says... Every action of yours, every thought should be those of one who expects to die before the day is out. Death would have no great terrors for you if you had a quiet conscience. Then why not keep clear of sin instead of running away from death? If you aren't fit to face death today, it's very unlikely that you will be tomorrow.